Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Tonight we are looking at the War of the Ages. We started last week looking at the War of the Ages and I handed you a diagram to kind of help you see how uh, these battles and this War of the Ages fit together in our time frame. Last week we dealt with the participants in this War of the Ages, and we see these uh, many of these battles mentioned in chapter 12 of Revelation. Under the participants, the winning side will be Israel, Jesus Christ, and Christians, or the church. The losing side will be Satan, his demons, and unbelievers. We covered that last week. Now, this week, we are going to see the main battles in the War of the Ages. Just as in World War II, there were many battles, such as the Battle of the Coral Sea, the Battle of Midway, uh, the invasion of Normandy. There were many battles to make up the war. So in the War of the Ages, it's made up of six major battles. Some are past, some are going on right now, some are yet to come. And today we're going to look at at least four of these six battles. The first battle is a battle that occurred in heaven before history began. That's where you see your circle number one on your diagram. Uh, The line represents the creation of the world or the earth. So prior to the creation of the earth, we have number one. Now I encourage you to write on the bottom of your chart in the space provided under one, uh, write uh, Satan's rebellion in heaven. This was a battle that began the whole war of the ages. It was at this time that Satan declared war on God and his kingdom. I believe that it happened in Genesis 1-1 between the phrases heaven and earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and I believe that's the spiritual beings, the angels, and the earth, that's the world, as we know it, and the universe, the physical world, with the stars and the planets uh, and all of that. Now, I believe in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 12, we have reference to this pre-Adamic battle in the highest heaven. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read all of chapter 12, just so we can kind of get immersed in this passage And then we will go back and we will look at more detail at the different battles that are mentioned there. But a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, remember we said that was Israel, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon, We said that was Satan, 
with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadem. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, and that was the Lord Jesus, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they have not loved their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had thrown down, had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness the place where she is to be nourished for time and times and a half time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Remember, I said those were the Christians. All right, now we look at this first battle that I believe is referred to in verse 4 when it says, Satan, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Now, the verb through there is in the aorist tense, which refers to past action. In other words... In one event in past ages, Satan was thrown down with a third of the stars of heaven. And I believe these stars are symbolic of angels. Therefore, in this battle, Satan and a third of the angels were thrown out of the highest heaven. Now, to get a fuller understanding of this battle, we need to go outside the book of Revelation and we need to go to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. Now, the Scripture does not just plainly come out and say, now, this is what happened before the creation of the physical world. Satan rebelled against God, and he and his demons were thrown out of heaven. It doesn't just come out and say it that clearly. But what we have in Isaiah 14 is we have a passage where Isaiah is talking 
and he is referring uh, to a earthly king, but at the same time, there are clear indications that he is referring to Satan, the one who is the power behind this evil earthly king. And we think it's clear that he's talking about Satan because the things he says just don't fit for an earthly king, as you'll see. Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 11. Your pomp is brought... Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your hearts. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, O sun of dawn. Uh, And that's where we get the name Lucifer, uh, the star, day star. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. And remember, stars here, we believe, reference to angels. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. So it seems that Satan was created one of the greatest, most beautiful of the angels. But he was not satisfied. He wanted to actually be like God. He wanted to take God's position. In his pride, he wanted to be God. And he rebelled against God. And in so doing... Uh, He was cast out of heaven along with those angels that rebelled with him. There's also an indication over in Ezekiel chapter 28 of this same battle. In Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning with verse 12. Here again, the lament is pointed directly and eminently to the king of Tyre. But there seems to be, even within that, also a reference to this battle that took place before the creation of man. Again in verse 12, Ezekiel 28. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You are the signet of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Hence, I said Satan was created probably one of the most beautiful of all the angels. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. 
I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All right, within those words about the king of Tyre, it seems that we have a reference as well to this battle that occurred when Satan exalted himself, sought to exalt, exalt himself above God, and in so doing, he was cast out of heaven along with a third of the angels, which became his demons. Some, as we saw a few weeks ago, were so evil, they were put in the prison house of demon spirits, the abyss and the pit. And they are awaiting this day of final doom and torment. You remember when Jesus talked about Gehenna, he said it was prepared for the devil and his angels. At this point, when Satan was cast out of the highest heaven, he became the chief adversary of God and man. He made his chief aim to destroy God's kingdom and mankind. Since mankind is created in the image of God, Satan hates us. He wants to destroy us because we're in the image of God. He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to believe His Word. He wants us to serve Him. He wants to set up His kingdom on earth. Now that was the first battle that began the whole war of the ages. Now we come to the second battle that occurs throughout history. That's number two. And you'll see the dotted line indicating it goes all the way until the start of the millennial kingdom. This is the battle that you and I find ourselves involved in. And I think John symbolically pictures this battle as the dragon standing before the woman Israel seeking to destroy the Son, Jesus. And we're back over in Revelation chapter 12. The adversary Satan has sought to stop the kingdom of God from the beginning of history. Ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan has tried to destroy God's promised Messiah. Now, Satan thought if he could destroy Adam and Eve, he could prevent God from establishing his kingdom on earth. So what did Satan do? He deceived Eve, he tempted Adam, and they disobeyed God. What did God tell them? If you disobey me, if you eat of this forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. Satan thinks, hey, I got them. If I can get them to disobey, they're dead, and God can't set up his kingdom because nobody's here. So when they sinned, I'm convinced Satan thought he'd won. I've done it. I've destroyed God's perfect couple. They've joined me in rebelling against God. God's kingdom is forever ruined. But there was one thing Satan didn't figure. And that was that God was two steps ahead of him. Because before man sinned, God had a Savior on the way. 
before man ever sinned, Jesus was crucified, the Scripture says, from the foundation of the world. And no sooner had man sinned than God made a promise to Satan. We see that, see that over in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Many Old Testament scholars believe this was the first gospel message. God said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, God is saying he was going to send one born of woman who would crush Satan. Now, Satan hears this. And so what does he think? He thinks, I got to do something about this. And so when Cain and Abel are born and he sees God accepting the sacrifice of Abel and rejecting the sacrifice of Cain, I believe Satan thinks, okay, Abel's the one that God said he was going to send, the one that was promised. And so he stirs up the heart of Cain to kill Abel, thinking, man, I've defeated God's plan again. But that was not God's plan. God raised up Seth. And it was through Seth that the promised Messiah would eventually come. And so Satan begins to think, now I've got to do something else. I'll make the world so wicked that God will destroy it. And so wickedness abounded. Every thought and intent of men's hearts was evil, the Scripture says. And God did destroy the earth, but... He had one who found favor in his sight, and that was Noah. And so God delivered through Noah. So Satan was frustrated again. And then he thinks, well, he realizes that we have Esau and Jacob. And what does he think? The promise is going through Jacob. And so he stirs the heart of Esau to want to murder Jacob. Esau said, I will slay my brother. But God works and delivers Jacob. The promised seed is preserved. In the same way, Satan stirred the heart of Pharaoh to seek to destroy the nation of Israel. Remember, all the newborn baby males were to be killed, thinking he could stamp out that coming Messiah. But his plans were frustrated. Satan tried to use the sons of Amalek to destroy Israel when they were traveling from Egypt to the promised land. They came out and tried to destroy the whole nation. But God's ways were not frustrated. Satan, I believe, sowed treachery and murder among King Saul in his heart as he sought to kill David. Because it was through David that the promised Messiah would come. In the days of Queen Esther, remember, Satan moved King Ahasuerus to exterminate all of the seed of the elect people of God. He decreed that law that they would all be killed, but God providentially worked, and one night the king couldn't sleep, and he started reading some of the histories of the nation, and he sees where Mordecai had saved his life, and so he brings Mordecai in. He said, I want to reward you. And Mordecai, of course, is Esther's uncle. And he tells them, you know, let's uh, 
let's do a law, let's save the people of God. Esther comes in and, and pleads the case. God delivers. And then come back to the New Testament. What does Herod try to do? He tries to kill all the baby boys three years old and under, thinking, Satan thinking, man, I can destroy the Messiah that way. But again, God prevailed. And after Jesus was born, he still sought to destroy Jesus. He tried to get him to jump off the highest point of the temple. He tried to move the people at Nazareth to kill Jesus by throwing him off a cliff. In other places, Satan stirred the hatred of the people, the scribes and Pharisees, so much they took up stones to slay Jesus. But God protected him. It was not his time. And then Satan filled Judas' heart to betray Jesus. He moved the Sanhedrin to falsely accuse Jesus. He moved the mob to cry out, Crucify! Crucify Him! When faced with, with releasing Jesus or releasing this insurrectionist, Barabbas, they said, Release Barabbas! Satan eagerly watched, I think, as Jesus hung on the cross and His life ebbed out of Him. Finally, at His death, I believe Satan thought he had finally won, only to find out he'd been defeated in the process. That Jesus had defeated sin and death through his death and resurrection. Boy, I'd love to have seen the look on Satan's face when Jesus came alive from the dead. And not only did Jesus defeat death, but... He rendered him powerless who had the power of death. That is the devil. God preserved his promised seed and made him Savior and Lord. Now, you and I would have stopped. We would have said, hey, I give up, but not Satan. He's persistent, and he turns that hatred and anger toward the church, toward the Christians of all ages. And that's why Peter said, be alert your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan and his demons have turned their attention toward destroying the church of Christ. And the battle is still raging. And you and I are caught up in this battle. Now there are three aims that Satan has in this battle today. First, his aim is to replace God's kingdom with his kingdom. He wants to replace God's kingdom with his kingdom. Now, he seeks to do that through false religions. One way he seeks to do that. First, there are the non-biblical false religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age. All these are nothing but satanic means to try to establish his kingdom. And then you have the false religions that are distortions of Christianity, like Jehovah's Witnesses, like the Mormons, like the Christian scientists, the Moonies. And then he seeks to replace God's kingdom with his kingdom, not only through false religions, but through counterfeit truth, through his lies, substituting the truth substituting the lie of evolution for the truth of creation. The lie of human progress 
for salvation. The lie of man's utopia for the truth of God's kingdom. The lie of humanism. The lie of situational ethics over the truth of absolute morality. He seeks to move our world. He seeks to move in the minds and hearts of people to believe and accept his lie over the truth of God. And one blatant example of this is a proclamation that our president recently signed proclaiming the month of June as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender pride month, 2009. The president declared, 40 years ago, patrons and supporters of the Stonewall Inn in New York City resisted police harassment that had become all too common for members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community. Out of this resistance, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender rights movement in America was born. During LGBT Pride Month, we commemorate the events of June 1969 and commit to achieving equal justice under the law for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender Americans. Now what is, I think, worse of all is that he calls it Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Pride Month. That we should take pride in these areas of sin. Now that's our president. The highest office in our land. That's nothing but Satan trying to bring acceptance of sin as being not sin. To stand against those things is to be politically incorrect, to be considered again bigot, homophobe, and on and on and on. You know, it's beginning, it's obvious to me that we are again seeing another example of our nation is post-Christian uh, and to stand up for basic Christian principles puts us in harm's way, perhaps in danger of losing your job if you stood up and spoke the truth about these matters. So Satan is trying to offer his lies as a substitute for God's truth. False doctrines is another way. Works righteousness. Uh, the Bible has errors. Uh, Satanism. Uh, worshiping statues, occultism, just all the false doctrines he tries to, again, replace his kingdom for God's kingdom. The second way he tries to do it is to tear down the church. He tries to do, do this through false teachers. People who claim to be Christians, but they attack the Bible and say the Bible is not God's word. They, they are denying salvation by faith, denying the deity of Christ. Saying there's no need for repentance, and on and on. He tries to destroy the church by sowing tares. 
ungodly among the members of the church. He seeks to stir up divisions and grumblings and discontentment in the church. And then he seeks to devour Christians. That's his third way he's seeking to replace God's kingdom. He wants to destroy us through temptations, through discouragement, through persecution, as we see many of our brothers and sisters experiencing extreme persecution. So this war is going on right now. And it will continue, I believe, until Jesus returns. Now we move to the third battle. And that is the battle in which Michael and his angels battled Satan and his demons. Now this is number three on your chart. And as you see, it will take place right at the midpoint of the tribulation. Right at the midpoint of the tribulation. Number three. Michael and his angels battling with Satan and his demons. We see this in verses 7 and 8. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, this battle is yet to come. And again, it will take place just prior to the midpoint of the tribulation. Now, we have seen that this seven years of tribulation will begin when Israel signs a peace treaty with the Antichrist. Everything will look fine for Israel during the first three and a half years. The temple will be rebuilt. There will be peace in the Middle East. But suddenly, at the midpoint of the tribulation, Satan goes into the temple. He puts a stop to the animal sacrifices. He blasphemes God. He desecrates the temple. And he proclaims himself to be God. And when this happens, the Jews will begin to be persecuted. Now that's what we read about in verse 6, where he says, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared for God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. That's three and a half years. So the nation of Israel will flee, and God will supernaturally take care of her the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And this persecution that she will experience will take place after this third battle of Michael and his angels against Satan and his demons. Now, the battleground is not the earth, but the second heaven. See in verse 7, now war arose in heaven. Now, you may be thinking, when I wait a minute, I thought you said Satan was cast out of heaven. How then is there war in heaven? Now, John's readers wouldn't have had any problem with this because they understood biblical cosmology. You see, in biblical days, you had three heavens. The first heaven was atmosphere around the earth, where the birds uh, fly, where the clouds are, up to about 10 miles. The second heaven was the celestial heaven, where you have the stars and, and the planets, the moon and the sun. The third heaven was the highest heaven. That was where God's abode was. Satan was cast out of the third heaven, but he still 
was able to roam the first and second heavens. And so we see this battle taking place, I believe, in the second heaven. And as that battle takes place, Satan is dealt with. He is defeated and he is thrown down to the earth. And at this point, he really gets mad. And at this point, he turns his fury on those who are on the earth. Now, when he's cast out of the second heaven and thrown down to the earth, heaven breaks out in rejoicing. Look in verses 10 through 12. And I believe the highest heaven is rejoicing because they see this defeat of Satan and his demons as a foretaste of his final defeat. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And that brings us to number four, the fourth battle, where Satan is thrown down to earth, and now he turns his anger, his hostility, his murderous rage against Israel and Christians. This is an amplification of verse 6, where we read about Satan seeking to devour uh, Israel, and she had to flee away. He tells us that, and then he kind of gives us a little spiritual perspective on it and say, okay, this is why that happened, because there was a battle in heaven where Michael and his angels defeated Satan and his demons, and they were thrown down to the earth. And in anger, they then turned against, with a greater vehemence and anger than even before, against Israel and the church. And Israel took off to the wilderness, and God supernaturally provided for them. Look in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. That's Israel. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for time, one, times two, one and two makes three, and half a time, three and a half. Again, three and a half years, 1260 days. And so God miraculously, supernaturally works on Israel's behalf during this time of what Jesus calls the great tribulation, when Satan pulls and, and pours out his full, undiluted anger and, and murderous rage against the people of God, God supernaturally moves in and protects Israel and provides for them. Even when Satan seeks to destroy them by sending a flood on them, God causes the earth to open up and soak up the water. So this is a supernatural intervention of God to protect His people. Now, remember, God has promised 
us as Christians, and he will preserve us through the time of the great tribulation. You remember chapter 7 of Revelation? John saw in heaven a great host clothed in white robes, standing before the Lamb of God. He was asked, who are these? And he said, I don't know who are they. And he was told, these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation. They came out victorious. They came through it victorious. Do not fear the one who can destroy your body, but fear the one who can destroy your soul. God will keep us faithful no matter how bad the persecution and suffering might be. The question is not will you be able to live through the tribulation or whom will you worship during the tribulation. The question is, is God able to keep you faithful? And He is. If it depended on us, we probably would cave under the great suffering and persecution. But God's promise, He will keep us faithful. So that's the fourth battle of the ages. It will take place at the second half of the tribulation. Hence, Jesus calls it the great tribulation. He said, times like this have never been seen before or after. And he said, if the days had not been shortened, even God's elect would not be able to stand. Now, as we're closing down, I'm going to simply mention the fifth and sixth battles because we will look at them in greater detail as we continue our study of the end times in the book of Revelation because these are both spoken of in Revelation. The fifth battle is the great battle of Armageddon, which occurs when Jesus comes back. And that's number six. Excuse me. That's number five. When Christ returns. Right? And we're going to see that when we study chapter 19 of Revelation. That when Christ comes back, the nations of the world will have been gathered around Israel. They are prepared to make war against the Antichrist. But when Jesus appears, they put down their animosities toward each other and they turn all their hatred toward Him. But He will slay them with the sword of His mouth. And they will, the Antichrist and false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. We see that over in Revelation 19, 11 through chapter 20, verse 3. And Satan will be bound in the abyss, that shaft of the abyss that we talked about, that prison house of demon spirits. When Jesus comes back and sets up his millennial kingdom, he's going to bind Satan in this prison house for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, Satan's going to be released. And he will bring one last rebellion. He will deceive the nations and peoples who are humans. And they will join him in one last rebellion against God. And then he will be crushed and he will be cast into hell. That's the sixth battle of the War of the Ages. And you read about that over in Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. Remember, John, writing to Christians who are going through persecution, 
writing about what's going to be happening in the end days and the suffering and persecution that Christians will be going through in those days, he stops in chapter 12, kind of takes a break in the action, a break in the flow of the book and says, now, let me let you look at this thing from the heavenly perspective. Let me give you the overall picture of why all of this is going on. And it's going on because there's a spiritual war between God and Satan, between the demons and between the angels and between the Christians. And we're caught up in that battle. That battle is is going to continue. That war is going to continue until Jesus sets up the new heaven and the new earth. And he wants you to realize what you're going through. This that we see happening in our nation is because of this spiritual warfare. You want to explain evil, that's it. It's Satan seeking to destroy what God wants to accomplish. It's Satan seeking to counterfeit God and set up his own ungodly kingdom in the place of God's true kingdom. But the good news is, he's defeated. Good news is, we're on the winning side. Good news is, you and I are going to spend eternity with God. And Satan and his imps will spend eternity in the lake of fire. Make sure you're on the winning side. All right, that concludes our study for tonight.